Hi, today I'd love to introduce you to videoblogs.com, a website that allows you to include sound effects for podcast or video background on your website. With videoblogs, there is no reason for your creative needs to be compromised due to budget constraints. You get studio quality stock, including HD footage, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and more for a fraction of the cost. Go to videoblogs.com and get exclusive discounts on millions of additional marketplace clips where you save 40% and can use clips for commercial and personal projects. And if you go to videoblogs.com slash expansion drive, you can start your seven day trial. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes artificial intelligence easy for everyone. In this episode, I'm going to pave the way to a conversation about uh, um, artificial general intelligence, um, which is a topic that a lot of uh, people in this last period are, are talking about or writing, especially many journalists um, who want to write probably what they consider uh, interesting posts. Uh, and, uh, of course, they are claiming things that are... Uh, quite difficult to achieve uh, from uh, from a technical perspective, at least with the technology that we have at hand today. And so um, we'll define what artificial inte- uh, general intelligence is. But before getting there, I would like to uh, explain a bit what you know what happened in history uh, in artificial intelligence, uh, which is not just deep learning. Deep learning is just a tool of artificial intelligence, you know, to do artificial intelligence or something similar to that. So, uh, not to confuse the tools from the concepts, from the uh, paradigm of computation or or just, you know, uh, thinking how to solve a problem, that's something that is uh, much broader than than the tool. So, the library that can indeed help uh, practitioners to develop their, their neural networks, their models, their hybrid models, whatever they are. I hope you enjoy the show. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. So to start with, there are basically three major approaches uh, of artificial intelligence, uh, namely neural networks, uh, symbolic computation, and probabilistic reasoning. So this is, of course, kind of my opinion, even though um, my opinions are usually backed by uh, history and, and facts most of the time. Of course, there are several other paradigms, several other philosophies um, when, when, we, when we talk about artificial intelligence or, or intelligent software. Uh, but these are the three major movements that we have been uh, have been through in in the last probably two decades. Uh, and so I repeat: neural networks, symbolic computation, and probabilistic reasoning. So with neural networks, the approach is, as we all know, to simulate how a biological brain works by creating artificial neurons and synapses. Uh, and simulating the biological mechanisms of how each neuron fires um, electric impulses to the other neurons. Now, these networks can be trained to learn through observation, uh, pretty much the same way human beings learn, even though it's not 100% correct, because 
um, human beings don't need, for instance, to um, uh, observe an event or, a, or an object a million times while a neural network, an artificial neural network, needs to do that. Now, these networks uh, so that are trained uh, through observation, uh, think about this example, the, the classic uh, human baby, first sees a cat, is told the word cat, then the child's neurons organize uh, so that the next time the baby sees a cat, the baby will recall the concept of cat. So that's exactly what we do with artificial neural networks. We feed the network an image and a corresponding concept, usually it's a label, and the network will wire itself to memorize or well to associate and to recognize the image associated with that concept via all the algorithms that we have seen before, like uh, um, backpropagation, stochastic gradient descent, etc., etc. Now, change the image to any input you want and any concept, and according to um, these journalists, boom, you have artificial general intelligence. The ultimate goal of this type of research is to build a universal neural network that can recognize any input, um, uh, detect or, or uh, understand any concept, and therefore can solve any problem. I hope you can see the gap that between what we can do today and what we pretend to do with something called artificial general intelligence. The second approach um, in history um, is called symbolic computation, which comes from computational algebra, and it allows us to represent concepts with mathematical expressions containing variables that have no given value, but that can be manipulated symbolically. And so these variables remain abstract until the end of the computation, when real values are, pl are, are plugged in into each, and the computation is solved for a concrete output. Now, this approach enables us to solve a problem, for instance, again, recognizing an image or an object, by representing the, that concept symbolically, and then substituting each variable with a value whenever that value becomes available. So, again, let's make a classic example. The cat with four legs and a tail is an animal. Also, a dog has four legs and a tail is an animal. Now these two things, these two objects, um, I don't know yet if they're animals, if they are, you know, how, how to categorize these things. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a symbolic computation method that just assigns um, a symbol to these two entities. And now these two entities, which are very different, have exactly the same mathematical representation until we find another distinguishing variable for which um, Indeed, we can separate these two concepts and therefore assign to them two different symbols. The third approach, which I think is very, very interesting, and I'm going to dedicate a, an episode to that, is probabilistic reasoning, which relies on probabilistic theory to solve a given problem. And so each concept uh, in probabilistic reasoning is represented in probabilistic terms. This approach does not result in a single output. Instead, it returns the probability of a given object correlating with a certain concept. And so, in the same classic example of recognizing a cat from a dog, until the time you see the cats and the dogs having four legs and a tail, both, well, then the probability of being a cat or being a dog might be very similar, probably around 50%, if there are only two uh, concepts to distinguish from. 
And of course, this probability will be balanced towards the cat or the dog if we are considering additional features. So this is the rationale behind uh, probabilistic reasoning. Now, in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of research and um, a lot of attention towards just one of these uh, three methods that I just, um, that I just mentioned. Uh, so, of course, the person responsible for the majority of the progress in terms of artificial neural networks is, is Geoffrey Hinton. So, Geoffrey Hinton, uh, uh, who works at the University of Toronto and, and Google, he literally paved the way to what we now know as deep learning by proving the efficacy of the backpropagation algorithm which is the methodology that allows a neural network to learn from observations, from experience. Another leading researcher uh, is Joshua Benjo, the second of the three founding fathers of deep learning. He's the head of the Montreal Institution of, uh, for Learning Algorithms, or uh, MILA, and his research paved the way to sequence recognition. And the third is Jan LeCun, of course, former student of Geoffrey Hinton's at the University of, Tor of Toronto, in 2012, he became the founding director of the NYU Center for Data Science, and in 2015, he became the first director of Facebook's uh, AI research division. Now, his most notable work is on convolutional neural networks, which are used to parse sequence of digits like those on checks and airport tickets. All of these researchers use similar technology, but for different applications, such as facial recognition, uh, image search, natural language processing uh, for conversational engines, etc. Their research is currently at the leading edge of consumer technology. Think about stuff at Google, stuff at Facebook, and is taking artificial intelligence research out of theory and into mainstream practice. Now, this is what's happening from a deep learning perspective, but that doesn't conclude the, the chapter on artificial intelligence and doesn't even start the chapter on artificial general intelligence. For some reasons that I'm going to investigate later, uh, one of which I will anticipate is probably all the methods that we are using uh, today for you know, artificial intelligence and so all these deep learning related methods are probably not uh, valid anymore for artificial general intelligence because if we project the same technology to... Uh, and so the, the same techniques to build current neural networks uh, and we want to go through towards this artificial general intelligence, so this universal network that can learn any concept, recognize any object and, in, and distinguish any entity in the real world, well, probably this network is going to be huge. It's going to be so complex that we currently have don't have the technology to handle such a network. And so probably the methodology uh, and the approaches to build such a network are uh, not appropriate, as we think. Now, of course, uh, in the last 10 years, a lot has happened, um, but probably very few things uh, can be considered milestones, in my opinion. And so I will mention these, I think, four, um, what I consider four milestones of deep learning in the last 10 years. And I will start from 2011 uh, until 2014. So let me start from 2011, when one of Hinton's students, uh, Navdeep Jaitli, 
showed how to use deep learning to improve speech recognition at Google. And this new approach gave rise to the speech recognition technology that is currently powering Android devices. Think about the Google Home, it's the same library. Now, every aspect of modern speech recognition technology makes use of the principles of deep learning that Jaitley pioneered uh, in 2011. In 2012, Alex uh, Krzyzewski and Ilya Suskever, and of course Geoffrey Hinton, created a huge convolutional neural network, uh, the largest in the world at the time, which they used to win the 2012 ImageNet large-scale visual recognition competition, or ILSVRC. Now, in the competition, the others achieved a test error rate of 15.4%, while the second place entry only achieved an error of 26.2. So there was a, a world in between. There was nearly 11% difference in, in, in error between the two, which is an incredible improvement on, at the time. I mean, 11% is an incredible improvement even today. The same year, still 2012, and this is the third, Geoffrey Hinton and his research group found a way to prevent overfitting, which is the, you know, the tendency for a neural network to learn from the data exactly as they are without the ability to generalize. So when a network overfits the data, it can explain that data and nothing else. So its results are too narrow and cannot be applied to any other data. So this is a very bad problem uh, for, for deep learning. Because, you know, we, we may think we've solved a given problem, but when we change the data set or when we put our thing in production, uh, when data are slightly different from the training set, well, our model fails miserably. Hinton solved this problem by randomly removing or disconnecting some neurons in the neural network architecture. This solution is not only you know, more efficient from a computational perspective because I have to calculate less, but it also helps a neural network generalize better and mitigate overfitting. This solution goes under the name of uh, uh, dropout and is now used in almost all deep learning research. When you don't use it, probably you're using a library that is doing it for you. The fourth and last milestone, in my opinion, is one, two years later, 2014, when Google entered the 2014 ILSVRC, the same competition, of course, they wanted to, uh, you know, make a statement. And so they wanted to outdo the 2012 competition winners. And so their response was Google Inet, a 22-layer deep convolutional neural network for image recognition. Now, this entry performed at ILSVRC 2014 with a 6.7% error rate, which smashed completely the 2012 error rate record. Now, Google and Net used a new type of convolutional network organization called the Inception Module. This technique improved the connections between the layers of a, a convolutional neural network by running certain processes in parallel rather than sequentially. But not only did this improve the network speed and accuracy, but it also reduced the network's power consumption, something that Google was already uh, working on at the time. So what happened in the last five years, for sure, we have seen actually the same technology uh, just get, you know, handling uh, larger networks. But the concepts that we are dealing with are very, very similar to, you know, the first version of these neural networks. So 
okay, we can say, yeah, we have a convolution neural network instead of an LSTM. But at the end, all the algorithms behind, like for op function optimization, minimization, uh, stochastic gradient descent, these are pretty much the same. And so the horsepower of all these neural networks are pretty much the same. And guess what? Our brain doesn't really work with backpropagation. So there must be something that we are missing, or there must be something that we we are yeah definitely not considering, or it's impossible to um, transform or translate into computer code. Now, generally speaking, deep learning requires a lot of data to train and function. We all know that, and you know not just any data. The quality of the data matters too. So when we say garbage in, garbage out, this is extremely relevant to to deep learning. In addition, computational large data sets also means a lot of training time. Uh, current generation GPUs are helping speed up that process by a factor of 10 or 20 or even more, but the complexity of networks and the speed with which they improve is constrained and will stay constrained by current technology. From a practical perspective, the complexity of the problems we'd like to solve is simply outpacing hardware improvements. So this is a, a first challenge that we have to deal with, and I'm not sure it's going to go away anytime soon, at least for the time that we maintain the same technology to solve problems that are more and more demanding. The other challenge, of course, is a philosophical one. So first of all, what do we mean by artificial general intelligence? When most people think of artificial general intelligence, they usually think of a human intelligence recreated in silicon. That is, a super intelligence that solves most of our problems for us. Now, the problem with this thinking is that humans do not have general purpose mind. So we are, you know, as human beings, we are pretty specialized creatures. And our intelligence is not one-dimensional. So making the comparison of human intelligence to machine intelligence, in my opinion, does make much sense. As the saying goes, if you tell a fish to climb a tree it will spend its whole life believing it's stupid. <laughs> and so this is exactly what I mean. While we can emulate human thinking for very simple tasks, such as recognizing objects, reading text, uh, even something more complicated, which is still constrained into a domain, like playing Go or playing Atari games, um, we can't replicate human intelligence for general concepts. And even if we could, we would be constrained by the massive cost and power required for such an exercise. We would need an artificial neural network so large and so complex, as indeed our biological neural networks are, that it would require almost unlimited computing resources, time, and of course power to run it. So in my opinion, artificial general intelligence is not achievable, at least right now. There are, however, several approaches that are you know, leading researchers towards better solutions, sometimes energy efficient, some other times just more powerful, but this is something that I will dedicate another episode, maybe the next one. This episode is supported by Abe AI. The Abe AI platform joins advanced financial machine learning and natural language processing to give banks the ability to engage and support customers at scale using artificial intelligence. Visit Abe.ai to see how we are changing the financial services industry or how you can join our team. This was Data Science at Home. 
the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceatome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com.